Gaming and BS episode 140. Welcome to Gaming NBS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to our regular listeners. How are you doing, Sean? I'm doing smashing, Brett. Smashing. That's awesome. Yeah, I just, man. I just mowed the lawn, and uh, I think uh, I have uh, seasonal allergies now. Apparently, when you turn, when you pass your 40s, all the allergies that you never had apparently hit you, which is horseshit. But yeah. As a representative of allergy people, sufferers the worldwide, world, world over, welcome to the club, man, man. Oh, thank you. That's so helpful. Yeah. It's great. It's fantastic. I especially like the itchy eyes that just water on unstoppable and you feel like you have a cold and you blow your nose. Nothing happens. You're like, ah, too bad. You're going to feel like shit all day because, yeah. because some tree decided to fornicate in your nose. This is great. Uh, yeah, it's a, I would rather have to go into the gas chamber once in the spring and, and like, that's it. And you wouldn't have to have any problem the rest of the year than have seasonal allergies. Yeah. I've actually, I've a friend of mine, uh, ex-Marine, former Marine, uh, did the whole, Hey, you know, in basic, when you walk in the room, put your gas mask on, take your gas mask off. <laughs> and how horrible that is when you're tear gassed. Yeah. And he said, I would rather do that once a year. <laughs> then I would dread it. He said, then having the, oh, hey, guess what? It's lice outside, but you don't want to be there. Anyway. <clears throat> There's good meds out there now, though, Brett. Going to have to would, find them. Going to have to would, find them. I would recommend a combination that Miss Jen Brinkman or or somebody else and somebody else mentioned on Facebooks, uh, Flonase and a, I believe a Claritin or Flonase and some other combination, and so one usually kind of keeps the flare ups at bay and one keeps an even tempo. The nice thing, the good news is, Brett, uh huh, it does not last forever. It's all these flowers wanting to procreate. Sexy stuff, pollen everywhere. See, this is why I'm thinking about becoming a vegetarian. I fucking hate plants. I hate them enough that I want to kill them and eat them. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's what I should do, just to show them who's boss. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever I'm, met a vegetarian <laughs> that's ever taken a, quite a stance <laughs> like that before. But. A more a more aggressive stance on on plant killing. Anyway, yeah, let's get this shit on the road. Uh, announcements. Yeah, what the hell have we got here, man? We got some stuff going. Um, <clears throat> our banner, Gaming BS, a Gamehole Con. Submissions are open to get your games in there. <coughs> Sean and I will have some tables. We'll have, he and I will be running a game or two, and we'd love to have people get in on it. So we're trying to help Josh and the boys over at Gamehole kind of stay coordinated and such. So as we've said before, let us know what you'd like to run, and I'll be happy to help uh, coordinate that with you. Obviously, you're going you're gonna to put the submission in and so forth, but then we get to, we... As in Sean and I tag team with Alex and Josh and just make sure things are running cool. So, so Brett, have you decided on what you're running? <laughs> I am going to run uh, one game of Avalon. I think I'm going to use 5e, and I'm deciding if I'm going to run another Warhammer First Edition or something a little more esoteric. I don't know quite yet. We'll see. If my if my copy of uh, Blades in the Dark ever shows up, maybe I'll run that. Who knows? Maybe I'll be done being angry about it by then. We'll see what happens. 
Still in therapy over that thing, I think. I'd rather have allergies than have a late Kickstarter. <laughs> oh, on the uh, list, we should have a list of... Uh, would you rather <laughs> for gamers? Brett, Brett's angsty list of uh, malcontent. Um, I may run Tales from the Loop. Tales oh, that could loop? be cool. Tales from the Loop. Yeah. From the, I believe it's a from the, okay. From the Loop, yeah. If I don't run Tales from the Loop itself, native... It may be a, a different system, but still the same premise. For those of you that are not familiar with Tales from the Loop, it's from the Modifius um, folks, and it's a it's the '80s RPG. It's an RPG of the '80s that never happened, and the premise is that you play kids from ages twelve to fifteen, and uh, the loop is a. Um, uh, what is it? Not a hydron collider. What is that? An atomic nuclear reactor. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Okay. All right. It's a halaron collider. It's a bit. It's going to end the world. One of those. It's one of those. It's, okay. I, right. I can't remember that. Yeah. It's like the hadron collider. One's in Sweden. One's in somewhere else. Uh, yeah. In Colorado. Sure. Nevada. Nevada. You could put it anywhere. But the whole thing is, is that there is some technology like robotics is not foreign, but think of Stranger Things, think of the Goonies, think of E.T. That's kind of the the feel. So you're kind of I've got some ideas where you're you're a group of kids, you play kind of an archetype. And then, uh, yeah, you go on a little adventures. One of the things. Wonderful. Phil Vecchione mentioned it a little bit on on Misdirected Mark. He just touched yes, he on it. And he he's yeah. He kind of fell in love with it once he read it, and I was like, I'm going to check it out. And I I got the PDF, and I got a hard copy coming. But anyways, one of the things as part of character creation is you have to you have to pick a song, a song yeah, from the '80s. Oh crap! I mean, oh crap, Brett, you're like a kid of the '80s. Yeah, I know. There's a lot of bad music from the '80s. So when I was 15 in the 80s, Brett would have been like 12. 15. I was born in 73, so. Yeah, right yeah. there. There you go. Yeah. Brett would have been the, the little kid we would have picked on. I would have been twice your size, dude. I was a big kid. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Brett has not changed in size uh, since no, I've been years old. Yeah, I've been six foot three since I was five. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Came out with tattoos totally. and a beard. And a beard. Yeah, we, oh, we, saw the, we saw the picture. Yeah, my wife did provide a picture. Anyways, we better get going. We're never going to get done with this. No, we won't. All right. What the hell else is going on? Uh, yes. Oh, the other piece. I've said this before. I'll say it again. I'll be at Origins uh, next month. I'll be there. <clears throat> I believe Wayne Humphrey is still coming with us. So Wayne, Kev, and Austin will be uh, carpooling down, expecting to meet some really kick-ass folks down there. We've got the most of Misdirected Mark crew, I think, uh, Wayne Palladion will be there, so that'll be cool. We've got, I think, Mo Tusino stopping in, Tom Flanagan, Emily. I mean, just really, it's going to be fun. So even if you don't know who the fuck any of those people are, I'll be there. Hey, come say hi to me. You know, Dragon Spawn will be there. It'll be it'll be fun. So anyway, if you're there and you spot me, um, say hi. It'll be cool. Rub elbows. Absolutely. Um, oh, the old school encounter contest. That's still happening. Got a link in the show notes. Uh, we're doing that with Hobbs and friends, Jason Hobbs over there partnered up with us. Got a couple entries have come through <laughs> pretty much got, um, a little bit left. 
So go out there, check the link in the show notes. By the time this drops, you'll have a week or so to get her done. And uh, speaking of conventions and all things cool and gaming, Queen City Conquest, that's out in Buffalo, New York. I was there last year with uh, Phil, Chris, Bob, and the host of guys out there. And they are, uh, Sean Gilgore is um, stepped up to fill the shoes of con director, main coordinator man over there. And um, they've got their, they, they use a Kickstarter to help fund things. So in uh, Queen City Conquest, uh, they've got their website, which direct links to Kickstarter. If you go to Kickstarter, Queen City Conquest, you can find them and take a look at what they've got going there. So far, they're doing pretty well. So I'm thinking of throwing a few uh, shekels their way just to help make sure that that con happens because it's a fun con. And um, yeah. So, <laughs> excuse me, link in the show notes, uh, check them out. And even if you can't go, it's always fun to help a gamer. This is one of those ways you can do the cool gamer thing. If you got a couple extra bucks, throw them a few and help them uh, get their con off the ground this year. So that'd be cool. Graham Minert is running a couple games at Gen Con under Gaming and BS. Whoa! So, yeah, we're going to have that in the, the Gen Con program. And it, that very uh, surprised that Graham. Thanks so much. Uh, if you feel real ambitious and uh, risky, yeah, living exactly. on the edge. If you really want to live on the edge and you want to some, hope hope to get some gamers at your game, and you want to run gaming and BS at Gen Con, that's super awesome. He so he submitted two two D twenty system games. Um, again, two D twenty is Modifius does that system. Um, and one session of Conan, the treasure house of Jaisin Ka. The event ID we'll put in the show notes um, so you know which one to look for when it goes live. The other is a Star Trek Adventures event. Um, he's still figuring out some of the details about that one. You should have that all finalized soon. We'll have that ID in the show notes so you know which one. So Joe Swick, Mr. I'm going to post on Google Plus and like, Joe, I'm like, well, that's one way to do it. Cause he's like, you know, GMs at Gen Con, tell me what you're running so that I may. <laughs> so I may increase my presence. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, dude. And he's like, well, I only like to play in games with people I know. So I get that. But the way he phrased it, I was kind of, it was funny. But now here, Joe, here's two of them that Graham is going to put out there. Well, that's one cool. Well, that, I mean, Sean and I BS with Joe outside of the outside of the show. We <clears throat> get him on uh, on uh, Voxer and bullshit with him there a little bit. And <clears throat> and Joe, I mean, I know he's gonna he's gonna make Gen Con. He can't make Origins because of scheduling. Game of Con falls in like the worst time of the year for him. So we like to give Joe a little shit. Hopefully, he can get to Game Hole. But anyway, Mister Swick and anybody else going to uh, Game Hole, if you're interested in playing with a BSer, a fellow BSer, Graham Miner, as Sean just said, so check Gen him out. Gen Con. Gen Con. Gen Con. Didn't I say Gen Con? Did I say I something else? Oh, my bad. I got game hole in the brain. Gen Con, Gen Con. But anyway, there you be. Yeah. And definitely go and fill his game. Uh, get friends, family, relatives, uh, people you don't like to and, get to that event. And do a table selfie, too, just to show that you're there with him. We need that. Yeah, table selfie. Yeah, absolutely, man. And then send it over to Misdirected Mark. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You I love you. Love you, Mr. Ecton Mark. Let's do a random encounter before we yeah, dig into Random encounter, roll. man. Random encounter. You know the deal. Brett, you want to take the first one? Nope. I got a beard nope. open. You got to get All going. Right. There we go. 
my Gary Con room dog, Dan, emails us. Hi, Brett and Sean. Writing in because I enjoyed the last episode, 139, about building stuff in RPGs. One of my favorite in-game anecdotes. Not to be mistaken for antidotes. No, antidotes are different, which is the thing you could build in a game. <laughs> just so it goes along the potion line. That's right. The in-game anecdotes happened to be when our characters started the campaign by being shipwreck survivors on a sandy beach. And we ended up building a tavern slash N out of the wreckage. Eh, entrepreneurial. Just, uh, I hope it was like a desert island where it was just them. It'd be kind of, kind of neat and all, but it'd be like, it's business sucks. everybody. <laughs> anyway, carry on. It existed in the background and we saw how it gradually expanded and thrived. A cunning move on our GM's part to illustrate the passage of time. Well, that's neat. That, that instance aside, though, I don't really find any appeal in building something in your game. On the small end of the scale, if I build a tavern or other business, it would be designed to make money for me over time. There's no other reason to build it unless I really get a kick out of my character serving drinks to everyone, which may be possible. Who knows? As an RPG player, why would I do something so passive when the premise of the game is going out on adventures? Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay, Dan. On the other end, we have domains, keeps, and castles, especially in fantasy settings. I don't think upward mobility is the phrase I'd use when describing the economics of medieval times. Start trying to build a kingdom for yourself, and you're probably going to get shut the hell down at the first possible moment. The only appeal I see for having a domain would be the ability to command an army, but I haven't yet seen a system that handles mass combat well to the point where player engagement is maintained for the duration of a battle. Maybe that's just me. The exception to my dislike of building stuff is the idea of building a magic item, which gets my GM brain firing on all cylinders. And when I say this, I don't mean getting 50,000 gold pieces together for an item listed in the DMG. I'm not talking about lane plus two swords. I'm talking about the quest we're going to undertake to the crystal realms of Jixargol to trap the soul of an elemental in ice so he can bring it back to Graxus the Mad so he can enchant a sword for Brett's character. Because that is the only way we're going to be able to slay the demon of the Blood Moon which is going to manifest from the bowels of hell whenever the stars align. Compared to that tone, I can't see any impetus for building an inn or a castle so you can sit on your butt. Feel free to disagree. Regarding your next episode topic, Thieves and Rogues, check out the new game, Blades in the Dark, which is all about thieves, <laughs> thieves and assassins. We played a fun game of it at GaryCon. Happy Salmon! Dan Dome. By the uh, way, Dome Dome rhymes with you know me. So Dome. I did talk to Dome. Dan when he was at at Con a couple times because he was from Sean. And I do remember Dan saying that Blades was really fun. I believe I Adam. Just, I just want to say strictly platonic. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> you Although know, Dan is quite an attractive man. Yeah, he just said you're not his type. You're too short. Um. Anyway, um, I believe he's Adam. Quite tall. Yeah, he's quite tall. Yeah, I think he's taller than I am. Anyway, Blades in the Dark. I believe Adam Miskevich was running that one from Drink Spin Run fame. I believe Adam was running that. Drink Spin Run. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. If I ever get my physical copies, I will. Still cranky about that. Anyhow, um, there is 
if the premise that you like to have in your RPG is go forth and get stuff, you know, go and have adventures as opposed to potentially have the adventure come back to you. Yeah, that's um, <clears throat> building something and then sitting there and waiting for stuff to come to you. Maybe a little on the passive side might not be some folks cup of tea. So I totally get that. I do love the idea of building a magic item in that in this um, type of instance where you're building it and it's a uh, <coughs> excuse me a big quest item that you need to do a thing. So that's pretty cool. I do like that. Sweet. Yeah. Thanks for writing in, Dan. <clears throat> Absolutely, Dan. Good to hear from you. Um, building stuff continues. The email from Mike Bolin. Hey, Brett and Sean. This turns out uh, turns into kind of a long one, so feel free to edit and or break it up into sections. I've been <coughs> excuse me listening to the show for a little while now, but haven't written in yet. It was great to meet you guys at GaryCon. Either Friday or Saturday afternoon in the bar, I said that I'd recognize you by your voices, if that rings any bells. It does indeed, Mike. I do remember you. We took a selfie with him. We did. I've seen Mike around, I don't know how many times at, at cons, and so yeah. I'm glad he came up and say, has said hello. <laughs> he says, I describe myself by, quote, burly dude with glasses and a beard, unquote, doesn't really narrow it down to that convention, which is very true. I was just listening to your most recent episode on building and or owning stuff in game. In our current D&D game, we're using Labyrinth Lord with the Advanced Edition Companion. We've been running through a series of old modules. We've cleared the Temple of Elemental Evil. Taking down the slavers, save Salt Marsh, and survive Castle Amber. Ooh, Castle Amber's a bitch to get through, in my opinion. Anyway, <clears throat> we had to uh, head, we uh, went head to head with giants. Now we're headed towards the Drow. The campaign is going on for five and a half years now, and we played about twice a month. Yeah, man, that's very that's cool. Good. That is very cool. <clears throat> Excuse me. Way back in Salt Marsh, we decided to take over the big "quote unquote" haunted house on the hill after clearing it out. It conveniently came with access to the sea and a big old boat. It's been a bit of a money pit, but we managed to loan the boat out to some merchants, so that's a little income. Since we were rarely ever there, we need to, had to hire Senshal to take care of the place and deal with repairs and expansion. The GM hasn't blown it up yet. I think he likes that we can hit us up for cash every now and again. It also acts as a home base for extra characters we had lying around, and uh, we've been known to step out of main uh, campaign arc to play some low-level games. These dudes hung around the house until one of our main characters gets whacked. <clears throat> the only major attack in the house at this point was by a doppelganger who took the form of one of the party members, returned to the house declaring us all dead, and taking over the reins. We were able to wrestle control back, but did a fair amount of damage to the house in the process. Of course, we had to pay for all the repairs. <laughs> we're on good terms with the people, governance, governance of Saltmarsh, uh, government, excuse me, of Saltmarsh, and that has led to some adventuring opportunities. A few of us are nearing name level and will likely be looking for places nearby to construct towers, strongholds, and churches. But given the module-focused nature of the game, I'm not sure we'll get to spend much time in them either. On teaching slash learning new games, our group gets together weekly to play. As I mentioned above, Labyrinth Lord is the main campaign, but on the off weeks, we swap around games and GMing duties. We've done convention-style one-shots, three-to-five adventures, and had a couple of uh, recurring campaigns. When one wraps up, we take a volunteer from the players for the next arc. We've done DCC, MCC, <coughs> Gamma World, Traveler, Marvel, Phaser Rip, Call of Cthulhu, Deadlands, Hollow Earth Expedition, Monster of the Week, Dungeon World, Hackmaster, and Star Wars, Edge of the Empire. Whew. But, uh, excuse me, because these are uh, usually short arcs, a good number of the games are either, um, and, and a good number of the games are either expensive and or out of print, there's no expectation that the players actually own or know the games. 
We treat it like a standard convention game where the GM takes the reins, is expected to provide instruction as player as play happens. Everyone basically knows Labyrinth Lord and DCC at this point, but I don't think most of them have read the rules. Since expectations around the side games are pretty limited, and we've been playing a lot of old school and narrative focused stuff, it's usually not a big deal to teach them um, learn stu- teach them slash have them learn stuff on the fly. The switching helps uh, keep the main game from getting stale, as we've always had the off week to try out new stuff. Finally, the probability most uh, the finally and probably most importantly, since you mentioned getting a second table of Happy Salmon going at GameWorkCon, want to let you know that North Star Games are releasing a blue salmon version this summer. It will be exactly the same, but the cards will all be different colors. It'll all for 12 salmon to play at once. Happy Salmon, getting people banned from cons since 2016. Mike. <laughs> Dude, I'm going to pre-order that game right now. A <laughs> 12 person. Holy crap. Choked on my beer. 12 people playing that. That would be madness. Madness, I tell you. 12 people. I'll tell you, though, Mike's... Um, I One think game. Mike's talk about the uh, the building and how they're using it, I think, is a great kind of tag in for Dan Domi saying, hey, how, you know, not quite sure you're getting it type of thing. This is one way to do that. And maybe Dan would be like, eh, it still doesn't sound interesting to me, which would be totally fine. But what uh, Mike, Mr. Bolin here is laying out, I like that approach. Even in a game that's not heavy on it, there's a narrative component to it saying, hey, it's a base of operations where we can have some zero level low-level people, so when my main person gets whacked, ah, like, oh, crap, new new character, I'll take her. She looks like a, we need a fighter. All right, I'll go get get that character and, and play her for a while or whatever the case is. So that's a good idea. I like that. Good home base. Very good. Base! Your turn. Drop the base! All right. Chris Lang emails us a question, Brett. Hello, BS. I have recently started running a Hunter, the Reckoning game and have been trying to really ratchet up the horror aspect. So far, it seems as though the players are digging it. We are still in the first act of the game. The characters, who are normal people, are still taking their first steps into the world of darkness, and don't realize how many monsters there really are, or the extent of their influence. I guess my question is, when your players know they are playing a supernatural horror game, what are some ways to rend their understanding of the world to, hopefully make them uncomfortable due to lack of understanding the world much as their characters should be feeling. Mm. Very I good did question. enjoy, I did enjoy episode 59 fear and horror and role-playing games, which helped me set the mood and tone of the table. However, it did not really get into this more specific question. Also, Brett, you have mentioned how you ran a vampire game for years do you have any suggestions for subtle ways to introduce things from the other hardcover books? Vampires, mage, werewolves, etc. Up to this point, the characters have run into some walking corpses and a ghost or two. I have two concerns regarding how to introduce more monsters into the game. One is that if I throw too much of them all at once, I will later rob the discovery of something new and terrifying later in the game. Second is that hunters as they are just a little more than human, are wildly underpowered against anything from another World of Darkness book. I don't have a problem maiming or killing a player. Make that character. <laughs> but want to make sure I do so to fit the story or because someone slipped up and made a mistake. Also, the game is set in Northeast Wisconsin, where we all live. 
So I looked up what buildings in the area are supposedly haunted, making sure to include those in stories. One of my players picked up on this, and when his character brought it up, seemed to make everyone more engaged. I would suggest this to anyone running horror set where the group lives in the real world. Thank you for your help, as well as the podcast, Chris Lang. P.S. B.S. Too often, do you end your sentences with prepositions? Possibly. I don't know. Do we? I don't know. Maybe. It be it could be because of, but sometimes it's cold out. <laughs> it's, it's cold out. It could be. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting, though. I like. Um. So I'll tell you what, Chris. There is. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, this is gonna. I'm gonna have to throw this in the topic bin here. Um. I would definitely say that too much all at once is kind of like too many villains in a superhero movie, right? Your Marvel super vil- uh, hero Spider Man. Goes up against the Vulture, the you know the Rhino and Electro and Doc Ock, all in one uh, movie. Too much. Don't have time. Not good. Too much at once is definitely bad. And <coughs> excuse me, there are definitely ways I've done that type of thing in the past. So I tell you what, we're gonna have to. Um, I'm gonna put this in the hopper. That's what we're gonna do because this is a uh, this has got a lot of meat on it. So all right. New topic. It will be added to the schedule. Excelente. Thanks for writing in, Chris Lange. Absolutely, Chris. That's an awesome question. I like that. That's very good. Thanks for writing in, <laughs> Chris. Now he'll never write in again because we were dicks. That's great. Oh, he's making fun of <laughs> our prepositions. That's Midwest, man. That's very true. It is. It is Midwest. Anyway, you should you should see me write. Oh, it's terrible. And like I'm writing like I talk, so it's everything ends in eh? prepositions, which is terrible grammar. Carry on. All right. Oh, are you up? Am I up? What's up? You're up. I just read I'm that up one. again. All right. Yeah, you're up again. I didn't read that one. Did I? No, you did. Anyway, I don't want to read this one. You read it. Ron Blessing. Hey, new patron. <laughs> Podcast. Royalty, Ron Blessing. Oh, hell yeah. From the Games the Thing and Savage Bloggers Network. When you talk, to, when you talk to man and said, hey, we used to measure podcasts by how many how many minutes you could get on a single CD because that's what people had to listen to him on. The guy, the guy knows the history of podcasting. Anyway, carry on. He's got a voice for it too, man. Gosh. Good Lord, yeah. Comments on Torgo the White on alignment. So Torgo wrote in some episodes ago. Howdy, Sean and Brett. I just finished the first half of 137, catching up. Uh, the email from Torgo the White regarding alignment has propelled me into action. The way I explain alignment to folks is pretty simple. I look at good slash evil as morality and lawful slash chaotic as method. Good and evil are basically about how your character values life. If you're good, you value life above all else. If you're evil, death is simply a byproduct of your goals. Neutral characters are somewhere in between. I'm being honest, I find neutrality the most troubling on this side of the alignment spectrum. Law and chaos are actually simpler for me. If you're lawful and you live under a government and you you don't agree with, you'll do what you can to change things, all while following the rules. Likewise, if you're chaotic and you're under a government you completely agree with, that's just ducky. No one may ever notice you're chaotic until you stop agreeing. Neutrality here means you're all about morality, irrespective of how you go about having your way. 
True neutral, for me, the hardest alignment to play is the hardest alignment for me to play. I think of Zen Buddhism when I think of this alignment. I could totally respect it, but I could never follow it. Keep in mind that alignment isn't black and white. No one is perfect. So someone with even the strictest beliefs should be penalized for the occasional transgression. Unless they're a cleric or a paladin, they don't get to falter without penance. And I agree with the neutral piece. Like a lot of people pick neutral and they don't play it right. No, they don't. It's it's tough. Yeah, I mean. Because then you're going like, well, you know what? They should die because, you know, that's the way life is. Good people die, bad people die. It's a balance. It's neutral. Yeah, or or you get it when it's a simple system like DCC where it's a three alignment where it's lawful, neutral, or chaotic. You'd be like, I'll just pick neutral because I can do whatever I want and not to be tied down to that shit. Right. Right. <laughs> so they just they pick something as kind of a, yeah, that seems what I don't want to make a decision, so I'll just choose that. All right. Nice. Thanks, Ron. Absolutely. I hope everybody found that valuable. I think uh, I think many folks would align with Ron's take or something similar to it. I think I do, actually. I like that. I like Ron's opinion. He's a smart man. I like Ron, so I like his opinion. <clears throat> Absolutely. All right. There. Solved. <laughs> solved, done, and moving on. All right. Hey, guys. Next up we have, this is from uh, Wayner Finolf. A.K.A. Finolf, I should say. Finally caught up with that episode 138 skills, and we'll throw my two credits into the kitty. First and foremost, and discussion of skills and skillless and role-playing games should reference Traveler. May not uh, have been the first, may not always be the best, but nearly every flavor of Traveler revolves around skills and a skill table. Uh, he's got me there. He's very true. With 40 years of Traveler as, as this year, it's safe to claim that it is the gold standard for the implementation of skills in RPGs. <clears throat> Excuse me. Some versions of Traveler suffer from skill list bloat, but still tend to be more concise than GURPS, FASA Trek, Space Master, and other such micromanaging systems. I think my primary takeaway from this episode as a GM was the need to remind players that unskilled tasks can still be attempted. Lacking a skill in lacking a skill in field should never preclude anyone from trying, including swimming, although the consequences may be dire for a catastrophic dice roll failure, perhaps even hilariously so. Many skill-based RPGs have a built-in unskilled usage penalty. I think having different, um, different task difficulty levels, levels helps skew this as well. Attempting an unskilled routine task should be doable. Taking a stab at a formidable, formidable task without the appropriate skill should have some potential for a disastrous outcome. <clears throat> as for skillless themselves, as I've gotten older, I've tried to pare down the bloat a wee bit. Requiring a separate skill for every individual vehicle, weapon, language, etc. is just bureaucratic madness. And I'm freaking Canadian through and through, and we queue up better than the Brits, he says. <laughs> Allowing players to accumulate more specialized versions of general skills, well, that's between a player and a GM. It also speaks a bit to character background, personality, uniqueness, and such. Still a great show, and loving up the cast, keep up the good work. If Sean attempts a few minutes worth of a Scottish accent, I'll have a dram. Ah, who am I kidding? I'm just going to drink the damn scotch anyway. Regards, Wayner, a.k.a. Finolf. Yes, Traveler, Traveler, Traveler. <laughs> He's got a good point. I did not mention Traveler, and I have uh, I did play Traveler not that long ago, and uh, it does indeed have a pretty good skill list. I'll take your word for it. I played one game of Traveler. Uh, maybe. I think one for sure. Cool. Yeah. Next one's yours, sir. Blake Ryan emails us a preemptive email. Good day, fellas. Thoughts on playing rogues? One. Don't steal from your party. You wouldn't steal from your friends and family, so don't do it in game. 
In a dangerous world filled with magic and monsters, it is not a good idea to poop in your own nest. That's right. Poop in other people's nests. I, I would have Number to two. agree. Yeah. Don't poop in Brett's nest. No. Even if he is family or even if he's not. Nice. Number two, rogue does not mean kleptomaniac. You can be a military scout, a demon hunter, a troubleshooter for the church, a freelance cartographer, explorer, an investigator, and uh, not to be mistaken for instigator uh, for the mage guild. Rogues have a wide range of skills. Use them all. Number three, if they are an assassin, doesn't mean they are psychopaths. Maybe they only hunt monsters. Maybe they are afraid of undead or insects. Maybe they don't hurt kids. The parameters of their code is important to the character because they are the ones living that life. Number four, you may not see yourself as a rogue or assassin. You may see yourself as a militia soldier or a guy who helps people. Your skill set is not obvious to everyone that looks at you. An example is Garrick from Deep Space Nine, a tailor to most people, but a former spy assassin. Number five. Just because you live on the darker side of society does not mean that you have no soul. Because we all know that gingers are the ones that don't have souls. I don't know oh, about that. Go, I don't know about there that. Goes, there goes our entire redhead population. <laughs> yes. There we go. Ship. Damn just it. Kidding. Just kidding. Uh, maybe you donate cash to the orphanage. Maybe you want to rip off the king because you want to fund a communist state. Ooh. Give your character some goals and personality. All right. Well, and with that. Well, I think we owe it to Blake Ryan for spoiling the uh, intro, Brett. Yeah, a little bit. That's okay. I'm not feeling I'm not feeling so hot today. So Blake did Blake. Uh, he kind of farmed that out. Farmed that one out to me. Just like making a character for Star Wars. He did a little bit better work for me. So that all helps. <laughs> so, Sean, I want to ask you this before we talk about thieves and rogues. When Dungeons and Dragons changed from thief to rogue, what was your reaction? Oh, I didn't like it. Didn't like it. Why didn't you like? I didn't it, like Sean? it, man. Why didn't you like ah, it? Because you know, part That's of how I play the game. Damn it, we're thieves. <laughs> Sons of bitches. When I was a youngster, it was thieves, and then they had to make it rogue for no goddamn reason. I get why they, I kind of get why they did it, but at the same time, I'm like, seriously, I know. Do you know why they did it, Brett? I have my own. I don't know if it's ever been like presented and verbalized. Um, not that I know of. I know it's not, I don't think it had the same influences like the mothers from hell thing where they changed demons and made them into other things and it weren't devils anymore. And they changed that type of stuff. Baylor's and blah, blah, blah. I think is. Honestly, once I kind of got it, I'm like, you know what? A name, a name like that really does drive a thing. It says thief, not sneaky person, not scout, not rogue. When I would encounter the character class of other <clears throat> in other games, when we would name them ro- rogues or scouts or pickpockets or something, when you had a title like that, I mean, if you're a fighter, oh, I should probably fight some shit. You're a cleric. Oh, I guess I do cleric. You're a magic user, wizard. It very specifically tells you what's on, you know, what's on the outside is what's on the inside of that tin. So my thought was that by changing it to rogue made it less of a apparent one trick pony. At least that was my perspective. Well, sure. I totally agree with that. What did I also, 
I also think that they did it because, so I don't know if this is true or not, but, you know, thief has a negative connotation to it. Uh, yeah. Thief, stealing, bad. Most laws are around to prevent such things. But rogue, you know, that could, and plus rogue, you're like going to what you're saying. It's broader. Oh, you, you, dashing, you dashing rogue, you. Yeah. Yeah. What, you know, whatever. <laughs> It's fine. I, I'm over it. I think it, they could have called it something worse than Rogue, so I, I guess that's one thing. Master of Ledger Domain, something along those lines, which have been like, what? Yeah, yeah, something. Anyway, well, the cool things about your Thief Rogue types, and we'll use the name, either one of those names interchangeably as we talk through this, because I'm not necessarily married to one versus the other. Kleptom, kleptomaniac. Klepto, kleptomancy. <laughs> Klep, kleptomania. Mania. Mania. Sure, why not? Kleptomaniac. Um, there is, there's plenty of examples of these in, obviously, in your fantasy games, and plenty in modern settings. You think spies, you think um, anything along those lines, and you're, even sci-fi, right? You know, scouts, spies. Um, um, f- uh, let's see, just just raw, just raw, just raw thieves, scoundrels. Thank you. Stuff like that. I mean, there's plenty of plenty of that type of questionable morals <laughs> that happens, but yet still does some heroic things. So, you know, Sean, why would um, one of the questions we we've been asking when we when we think about these different character class kind of archetypes versus um, classes initially themselves? But what's uh, what do you see as a draw to do to play a thief or the rogue? What what, what draws you to it? I think you could could play a bad bad girl. Or bad boy. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, there, there's something though. I mean, uh, tongue in cheek, of course, but there's something what you say though is that this profession or this approach seems to, again, connotatively indicate that you're going to do things that are questionable, probably for the good for some way, shape, or form, but you're probably not necessarily above board in all the things you do. They ride the fine line of morality. Oh, there you go. I like that. Uh, oh, thank you very much. Which almost goes back up to Ron Blessing's uh, email to us, right? You know, when you're talking about true neutral versus something else, like, look, you know, they make no bones about the fact that, yeah, I sell stuff in a black market because that's a good way to make money. Y'all needed money for this little uh, scam we're running. Oh, it's not a scam? Oh, we're just trying to fool the king? Yeah, last I checked, that was a scam. Um, <laughs> you know, there's something uh, to be said for that. The other thing I found um, is that... When I like to play thieves and my friends who are really, really like it, there is a, they have a very, hmm, <clears throat> it's not as glamorous as the fighter up front punching the dragon in the face or, you know, that Marine standing out, out front in the aliens movie with the big guns, just shooting stuff down, doing this, doing that. The wizard calling up some thing or the clear healing, the thief, <clears throat> the rogue, that person when he or she they're sneaking across the battlefield they're checking things out they're doing it quiet they're in they're out to come back oftentimes as scouts right um i I know a lot of gaming groups have scout team scout team is the thief and maybe the ranger if they got a ranger with them but it's the people at the highest stock and hide and people to find things out your good rogue your good thief helps you figure out shit in the <clears throat> oldest sense of the word, when that person went down the hallway, I used to joke with a buddy of mine, he liked to play halfling thieves, that would uh, tie his thief to the end of a 10-foot pole and swab the dungeon corridors with him. <laughs> That's an attempt to 
We, ne- we never actually did that, but we always thought it was a funny visual. But the thief essentially swabs the dungeon corner looking for every possible nook and cranny. When that treasure is found, I'm going, boy, I wonder how much this is worth. The thief is like, oh, yeah, that? I can get you 150 gold pieces for that in Calimport. Because she knows that. Um, So I think that goes right into the, like, the, the concept of strength behind them. They're not necessarily... You can get some really good limelight and uh, spotlight time with the thief, rogue, doing all this cool shit. But you're not necessarily going to be getting it because of a big, you you know, chop the dragon's head off type of thing. I mean, you've got... Backstab man. Yes, I was going to say, you've got the... Ah, quadruple damage. (coughs) Yeah, sneaky damage. You walk up and with that short sword that your halfling has or that your little space pirate has, she walks up. She's been playing the innocent thus and such throughout the entire campaign and stabs the enemy captain and does an obscene amount of damage with her backstab skill or whatever. <coughs> Excuse me. But the uh, the backstab is wonderful because, again, it's sneaky damage. You don't always get the big credit for it, you know, because it's not as glorious as the as the fighter or the even the magic user cleric. But there's a you're very workhorsey type of thing behind the scenes because without you, people start falling down. You know, 50-foot pits with spikes. That's true. And that, as we learned from White Blue Mountain, is where you get instant super tetanus. So you don't instant want to do that. Instant super tetanus. Brett's got, he's got that, Brett's got that to- tattooed on the inside of his <laughs> forearm. Yes. Instant super tetanus. Yeah. That's what I have. <laughs> Save or die. Save or die. You know what? That would actually make a fun tattoo. Somebody probably already has that save or die. That's a, all right. That's got to go on my list of, I think I need. I like that. Well, I hope those uh, guys over at uh, Podcast World Save or Die, I don't know if their name, I don't know if they're still called Save or Die, but they should have the tattoo. They should. Anybody, right? That's true. So, Sean, any other strengths from a thief? I mean, we've got the sneaky stuff. You've got the pickpockety. You've got all those great thief skills. When you think of a thief and something that's like really a strong point to them, even, I mean, maybe we take it outside of even the, uh, the the dungeon perspective when you think Han Solo, right? I think Han Solo knows a shit ton of people. He's very roguey. Yeah. I mean that's where that was the fun part in uh in uh <coughs> excuse me with 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 him in the not Rogue One with the, in the Force Awakens. There's a there's a scene there where where a bunch of people show up and go, damn it solo. He's like, hang on, hold it just a second. We learned that with him and Greedo in the first movie. I mean, he's constantly, he's cutting deals. He's working angles. He's got a good charisma. He's got a winning smile. He's a bit, you know, he's got that whole thing going for him. But he's always in over his head, slightly. Listen <laughs> to this guy. We 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 aren't jumping the shark. We're getting, we're, uh, we're chopping the shark in half. Brett's actually referencing Star, Star Wars. Wars. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta play it. I gotta play the show on strength on this one. <laughs> Did some research. Watched a whole bunch of Star Wars this weekend. <laughs> So, I mean, when, you, when you're playing your rogues or thieves, how do you like to play them? Do you like the sneaky backstab assassin, son of a bitch? Or do you like the dashing rogue, rogues? How do you, how do, you do it? You know, I, one of my favorite classes of first edition AD&D that I would play quite often was the thief. And I always played them very methodical as we went through dungeons. It was always, I'm going to, I'm going to move to here. I'm going to move silently. I'm going to hide in shadows. Okay. Give me those rolls. Yep. And then once I get there, I check for traps. 
And then I'm going to listen like all four of those. Bam, 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 bam. Like it was moved, move 20 feet. Do that. Rinse, repeat. There was a cool thing too, that, that those old school thieves had in first ed or even basic. When you had a list of skills like that, it was definitive. Like I am good at this. Right. Even at low level, you might have a shit percent chance, but you're like, this is a thing I can do. You know what? You didn't have that list of skills as we talked about in skill lists. Uh, a couple episodes back, but you did have a list that was very specific to you of cool shit you should be able to pull off. So I did. I do appreciate the old classic thief and how it is the trap disabler detector, um, thieves can't talker. So I, I I I have a fondness of that. So I rogue swashbuckler. Eh, and and I I don't mind being the thief that's not going to piss the party off. Um, every once in a while, maybe. Yeah. Usually, I would do it if I if I spot somebody that's like dicking around with the treasure, and that magic user finds a ring, and decides to try to keep the ring for themselves mm-hmm. without letting the party know. <clears throat> yeah, that's the first thing I'm going to try to get. Oh, I see. So you're like the anti thief, and that's. In that space, almost. I just want to look at it and, you know, check it out. I see. I don't do it purposely, you know. I don't, like, there's some people, like, if they're a thief, they're constantly trying to rip the damn party off, which, and then you get the paladin dynamic, and, oh, God, and it just spirals out of control. Well, I think that kind of goes to, I mean, I had... (laughs) I think I might have mentioned this to you. When I was in grade school, there was a group of kids in my neighborhood that wanted to start a D&D club. They wanted to get together and play Redbox D&D like every other week or something. And I got invited to them. I'm like, oh, this could be fun. And um, there was they only had room for one more person. It was me. I'm like, oh, okay, this is cool. What what classes do you have? We have enough fighters. We have enough of this. We have enough of this. We have either a magic user or a thief. I'm like, I'll, I'll play a thief. No, you can't because thieves have to steal from the party. And I said, I don't want it. I, what if I promise I won't? I, I I don't understand that. No, you have to. That's that's part of being a thief. So I got stuck playing a magic user. I died in the first session. I never came back. Um, <laughs> but it was um, it was it was it was such a a thing that by the eighties when I had that when that red box was out, it was well known that thieves are supposed to steal from the party. At least in that little bizarre backwoods of Wisconsin, there. I I know that sometimes there's the moral ethical alignment impacts of what thieves do, and even you know you look at uh, swashbuckling rogue like you know your Han Solos and such. There's potentially bad thing. I mean, he shot Greedo, right? I mean, you know, well he's obviously double crossing people. He's obviously getting chased by bounty hunters. He's doing stuff that may be bad. Blah blah blah. Oh, spoilers. Yeah, Han Solo's a murderer, man. <laughs> oh, that's spo- spoilers. Greedo gets shot. Um, <laughs> yeah, unless you were born after a certain year, in which case they're trying to rewrite history, just like Tiananmen Square, man. I think it's not quite as impactful as Tiananmen Square, <laughs> but almost, almost as impactful. I'll give you that. I don't know, man. I don't know, man. Have, have you met some Star Wars fans? <laughs> That's true. Oh, shit, <laughs> I actually, Please don't burn down our podcast. Please don't burn down our podcast. podcast. I actually um, I had this discussion one time with uh, some players that had a very... Kevin will, will uh, gladly <laughs> join me in on this. That's the most fucked up treasure splitting system ever I've, I've seen a group have. And one of the reasons they did it was to preempt the thief from stealing stuff. This way, everybody gets a pick. Everyone gets to do stuff. And it was really it was a really bizarre thing. And I got in an argument with one of the players 
over a forum post with all the stupid ass places. Well, you can't blame him for doing over a forum yeah, post, Brad. Exactly. And finally, I'm like, dude, what's the deal? He goes, well, if we don't do this, then the thief will just do what the thief does. He'll steal stuff. I'm like, well, you're playing the thief. So you're telling me your thief would steal stuff if we didn't have a very strict system? Yeah. I said, well, I'm kicking your thief out of the party. Said, you can't do that. I said, why wouldn't I? We're in the middle of the fucking temple of elemental evil, getting our asses handed to us left and right, and you're going to steal from us? Adventures are crazy, but we're not stupid. I said, we'll kill you. We catch you stealing from us once, you're dead. I mean, that does we don't have time for that shit. You actually steal from the cleric who's healed you and kept you alive the last five games? Really? Really, you dick? Anyway. Oh, there's a special place in hell for those thieves. <laughs> Absolutely. It's it's uh, at a game table at Gen Con full of other people who don't have groups to play with. That's, that's the name of that hell. That's true. So, let's see here. I know that one of the things that... <clears throat> The other thing, from like a downside perspective, usually even, I mean, your thief is a skill-based character, in my opinion. I mean, they're all around being able to do stuff based on how good they are at it. They've got their high decks. They tend to, you know, they're smart and wily and stuff. But <laughs> generally speaking, they don't have the same hit point levels. Um, they don't wear the same heavy armor. They're using lighter weapons because they don't want to be roaming around with, you know, two-handed Bastard swords strapped to their backs and big tower shields. Heavy armor and big, you know, um, shoulder-mounted, you know, blazer rifles or whatever. It's just not what they do. They they move fast, strike hard type of thing. So from, I, I think if you do, if you're one of those people that really likes to be able to always have the biggest goddamn gun in the group, you know, this type of character isn't for you. I think that's kind of the, it's, it's, it's just a fact. You know, you're not going to be able to pull off the type of skills that your thief or rogue normally would um, by lugging around a, you know, a big Browning 50 cal. It's just not going to happen. It's not what you do. Unless you're an assassin, which is a subclass. Well, that's more of the uh, Barrett 50 cal sniper rifle, right? That That is true. Versus the, you know, big bulldozer of a man carrying a huge, you know, ma deuce and mowing down everything in front of him. That's a little different. We refer to that, Brett, as the BFG. In first-person shooters. Yes, I do. I do remember. I did play Doom. There you go. Yes. Which stands for Big Friendly Gun, I guess. Yes, Big Friendly Gun. <laughs> big friendly Gun. Yeah, here's where you go family. Exactly. Uh, this is what all I do. family on me. Yes. yes. <laughs> I, had a, I had a professor from Illinois. Um, weird tangent. He was in Wisconsin. And someone said, Fib. And he goes, I always thought that meant friendly Illinois brother. <laughs> I looked at him and said, that's not what that means. He goes, yeah, I know. I'm just, I'm just living a lie. Let it go. Oh, that joker. Yeah, he was a fool. That guy, that professor, he's such a joker. Wacky dude. <laughs> <coughs> so, I mean, honestly, though, when we, we talked about bards way back when misdirected. Hey, for, the, oh, sorry, go for, ahead. The record, yeah. for the record, we refer to Fibs as friendly Illinois brothers. I just refer to that. All the people from Illinois that I know are like are gamers. So they're just, yeah. they're just gamer people. I don't know. I honestly do not know anybody who lives in the Illinois area that isn't a gamer. So I don't have any connection with people from Illinois who aren't gamers. That's just a thing. It's like Scott Hubs and Jared Rasher, I think, is down there. Yeah, I think so. Oh, and Ken Height and, I mean, P.K. Sullivan and a whole bunch of people down there. I mean, it's just – and all the people I know in Illinois are gamers. So as far as I'm concerned, Chicago and surroundings are just full of gamers. That's all I know. That's, right. that's all that's down that's there. Right. <laughs> so a while back, of God, fuck, forever ago, we had that – Misdirected Mark did a Bard episode, and then they gave us a little grief. We did a Bard episode, and 
Bard's um again skill based character, but I think in lieu of 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 the Bard, the thief rogue type is one of the heaviest skill based characters and social skills as well. You can go away, not necessarily away from, but you can augment the finding stuff and stabbing people in the back and picking their pockets with some amazing social skills. One of those ways to be the face man of the group to be able to work your way in there and be that spy who, um, who makes your way in there. I think alias and some of those types of things, you know, where you're really, really good at sneaking, entering, getting things done and the surprise attack. You're incredibly dangerous. So, <coughs> excuse me. Whenever I've had people that want to play, they're like, I want to play a ninja. I don't have ninjas in this world. Uh, well, let's like a ninja up here. Play a thief. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, that's the closest thing you're going to get in most of my games to a ninja, but, um, do, do, do. So Sean, when you're going to play a uh, thief or uh, what do you need to know? Uh, if you're game mastering and I'm playing a thief, you, are you expecting me to know what things, what should I have on my list that I know? Well, I think you got to have a concept for the thief. So you got to, got to, you know, are you going to be the sneaky sneak thief and the, the trap detector thief? Or are you going to be Rogue, Swashbuckler, Errol Flynn, Robin Hood, um, Musketeer is another one. I want, I want to do all of that. Time. Can I do all that? You you could, yes. Of course you can. Yes, but. <laughs> or yes, and. Yes, and you are going to be awesome at it. Of course. <laughs> Tap them on the head. <laughs> so that's fine. They can do that. So I think. If they want to kind of flash in the pants that way, that's fine. I don't think that's a bad thing. So then I think you're going to have to know if there is the build around it, what is the strengths of that build? So if you're Robin, if you're one of those people, like the Brett says, but or and, you may come up short in one aspect. So maybe you want to be Errol Flynn, Robin Hood. So you may want to be a finesse kind of fighter, fighter with a finesse weapon, dexterity kind of guru. Maybe you want some social suaviness. But going that route may leave you short in the thievy, thievy, creepy crawly route. Which, so sometimes you can't have all your cake and eat it too. Sometimes you can have a little bit of each. So I think that's kind of what I'm getting at. What's well, kind of also in that session zero piece, right? Where you say, "Hey, we're gonna be playing um, an old school dungeon crawl using first edition AD and D rules." You're like, "I want to be a face man type of thief that's able to worm his way into any king's chamber and be able to figure things out." And you have to look at that player and go, "There will be none of that." Yeah, but I really like that. I'm serious. There'll be none of that. Your character will be dead within the first two rounds. Um, and the other player should be looking at that person, going, "Why are you doing that? Stop it!" <laughs> you know, Ian should be hitting me in the head with a book. Um, but the type of the type of thief because it is so skill based and there's so many variants of it. You've got the assassin, the face, the face man, face lady. Um, you've got the the spy, the um, the pickpocket. You know, Eileen says, "Hey, I want to play this." You know, master rogue, or a second story person who's able to break in, do all this stuff, and you know, and and then Dan's like, "Well, yeah, and that'd be that'd be cool. I, I can be this other guy that does this. You know, that kind of is the the alleyway thug. You know, I'll be like the kind of brutish thief that does this, that, and the other thing. All of that stuff can all those things are potentially really great approaches, but make sure that it fits because you're dumping all these points into a specific type of build. If it's a 
point build system or however you're doing it, um, or even choosing different variations on that class theme in a class-based system, make sure it fits the setting. Because if you don't, you're going to end up with some stuff that kind of works, but you're going to, because it's so skill heavy, you don't, I mean, punching stuff in the face is always handy in an RPG because somebody needs to get punched in the face. But if you've got a ton of social interaction skills and there's little to no social interaction other than bargaining with the kobolds to not eat the wizard, it's probably a waste of your time. Right. So in addition, so depending on which one you pick and the strengths that you want to emphasize in your concept, that's going to set some numbers on your sheet to to certain heights, whatever system you're using. So if you're using a generic system um, and you're building something out, you may be able to finagle it a little bit more robustly yep. than another system. So, but at the same time, um, you are, you know, if you want to be dashing rogue, you're going to have to have some of that social charismatic kind of emphasis. So you'll put some of those points into those things that'll make you savvy, suave, debonair, um, whatever, whatever that looks like. And the other, and then I'm oh, sorry, go ahead, go, go, go. Uh, charming, whatever. Yep. I was going to say, ahead, if you do decide that you want to do the old school thief and have this chaotic evil dude, and what she does is she steals from the party, or that doesn't bother her. She has no compulsion of doing that. And Ange tells me, hey, Brad, I really want to do that. Okay. I say, as a game master, are you prepared when uh, Sean and Phil, uh, the cleric and a paladin duo, catch you and may eventually kill you for that? Well, I think chopping off of the hand might be a good thing. Yeah. So those are, the, those are the things, though, that, again, in that session zero, however you're talking about things. And sometimes players will have like to keep some character development stuff secret. Maybe that's a topic for another day, too. But even if it's open or if it's private you as the game master do not assume that you could simply, yeah, I guess if that comes up Ange and the party wants to kill you, we'll just, we'll just figure it out. I won't let them kill you. <laughs> you can't promise that because that's when, you know, that's when tables get flipped and friendships break. Yeah. That's not up to the play. It's not up to the GM, man. <laughs> you pull a GM feed who I can kill and who I can't kill. Exactly. That, that, which is when the table flipping and friendship breaking happens. But that said, if you're going to do something nefarious where you are a turncoat or you're something on those lines, especially, I mean, again, I'm picking in the thief here, but if you want to do that and I say, you know what, you know, I really want to try this. And, you know, Darcy looks at me and goes, well, I, I guess, but Troy might kill you if he catches you because you know what his character is like. And I say, you know what? I'm totally on board with that. It's okay. Now, or, or, you know, or, you know how Troy is like Troy is. Yeah. Right, never mind his character. Yeah, he'd just kill you. He may just he like, may just stab that maybe just inherently to himself. Yeah, like, he might just stab you. Might. <laughs> no, no, Troy might not. He'll do it through his character. <laughs> Go outside, all four tires are flat. The fuck just happened? Troy peeling off in the distance. Anyway, um, don't don't be shocked and dismayed when the game master or the players say no. You can't make a character like that. There are a lot of, to our earlier points at the beginning, a lot of people have a bad taste in their mouth with that. And if you do somehow, some way, convince the group to let you do that and you get caught red-handed and they're going to kill Brett's character because I'm a thief and I got caught thieving from the party for the 15th time or umpteenth time, take what's coming to you, make up a new character. 
You can play a thief and not be a dickhead. Absolutely. Well, I'm saying is that if you insist on doing it, put on your big kid pants and deal with the repercussions they're in. That's right, little camper. Exactly. So I tell you, one of the other pieces when it comes to just shit that I as a game master want you to know if you're playing a rogue. Um, your thieves and your rogues have incredibly, they tend to have high dexterity, which means your initiative is usually high. I ran a game one time, an Avalon game, where everybody were um, rogues and bards. It was a 3-0 game. And they learned that because of their, incra- their crazy feats and dexterity skills and so forth, they would surprise round, attack the enemy flat-footed. Then they have initiative, attack the enemy flat-footed. Then they go first again because they're always first in the order. If they did not destroy the enemy after the third round, they ran away. Because they tried to stick around for the fourth round once, half the party almost got killed. So they realized it was guerrilla tactics in, out, in, out, bam, bam, bam. <clears throat> so anyway, know your initiative. Um, know how to do the hit, know how to roll your hit, know how to roll your damage. But backstab is a big thing. And depending on the different system you're using, the backstab, double damage, is it triple damage? Do you have to be flanked? Do you not have to be flanked? Do you have to have someone next to you? Understand that stuff because at some point you're going to say, I, I'm going to go in for a backstab. When the game master says, I don't think you can backstab there, you're not flanking him, you can raise your hand and say, there's no flank in 5e, Brett. Oh, shit, yeah, you're right. It's within five feet. Okay, there you go. Know that rule. It's a very specific piece. The rest of them, when they're skill-based things, understanding the skill system for how your stuff works. Hey, I can't pick locks without my tools, or I can pick locks without tools. I just suffer a minus 10 penalty. Know those components. Again, you're very skill-heavy class um, where a lot of the grunt work that you're doing, the day in, day out, the the grease monkey work that you're doing is all skill-based stuff. So you need to know how that works. Brett is coughing. Sorry. Um, know your armor class, know your hit points. And the reason I tell people that with their thieves, when my, when my son and some of his friends were, I was running D and D for them, the kid was going to run in. I said, Danny, you're a thief. What does that mean? Look at your armor class. Look at AJ's armor class. Holy crap. <laughs> Look at your hit points. Well, he's got like three times my hit points. Yes. I'm not charging in there. There you go, Danny. Back it down. <laughs> you know? Hey, way to go, Danny. <laughs> Easy, buddy. What what it was one of those things where it was like a reminder and then he had that in his head and he played his character like, okay, that looks dangerous. I'm not gonna go jumping down that hole. I'll let the I'll I'll look for traps first because traps will fucking kill you. Um <laughs> being eleven year old he didn't say fucking kill you, that'd have been really weird. But anyhow. Um, awesome. It's it's a good oh fuck all that, <laughs> stupid old man. Son of a bitch. <laughs> anyhow, um those things are sometimes good reminders of your own mortality as a thief. And if you're, especially if you're used to playing fighters, like I was for years, then you start playing thieves and you're like, holy crap, I have no hit points. This sucks. My armor class blows. Don't charge anything like that. Um, Sean, when it comes to role playing them, what do you, you said you like, you like them old school. How do you, how do you like to role play them? Uh, I don't, I don't typically have them be in the limelight because it's, they're usually not a really huge charisma based. I mean, if you're talking classic D and D and charisma is involved, I usually don't pump up the charisma because that's usually up to maybe the clerk or the paladin, uh, or some, maybe even the bard. So, um, I kind of keep them on the down low as far as the social pieces go. But having said that, I would say that if I'm in my element, then I can turn on the social juice. So if I'm 
you know, at a bar and, you know, I'm, I'm in the, a hive of scum and villainy, uh-huh. then it may be right up my alley to be in that element and know maybe I'll have a high streetwise. And even in streetwise is great. I mean, that's one of those underworld contacts pieces that, <coughs> excuse me, damn it. Your skeevy thief or your charismatic rogue, she should know all that stuff, especially if she's been around before. Even if nothing else, there's names to drop. Um, where you have you ever heard of, you know, you know, Draxus, the the thief from, you know, real Ragnar Seven. Really? Oh fuck, Draxus was here? Holy shit, that's some of a bit. He's crazy, he's legendary. Knowing those types of things can be helpful. Um there are there are guilds sometimes. Sometimes you have to be, have to be a member of a guild in a city. Sometimes being a freelancer is punishable by death in certain cities. Um sometimes you're ex military. You know, you learn to be a scout in the military or you're ex cop. You know, you and you know what? At one of my favorite quotes that from uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle about Sherlock Holmes was I think it was Watson told him that had he chosen a different path, he would have made an excellent cat burglar or something along those lines. I can't remember what the exact quote was. It was Watson or somebody else. But anyway, because he was really, really good at that stuff. Um, so it could be one of those things where, you know, you worked, you were a detective for many years and now you're essentially a thief or an under, underworld kind of person. Um, <laughs> I like to play up the, the contacts component and I love using thieves can't thieves can't for those who don't know is basically there's, it's been described a couple different ways, but I like to think of it. One of my favorite examples, as horrible as the movie is, is oceans 12. There's a scene in oceans 12 where, um, oh shit. Uh, Matt Damon's character is talking to this Englishman, the guy who plays Hagrid for anybody who knows actors. I can't remember his name offhand. Um, but he's talking to him in thieves can't. He's saying words and phrases and so forth, and then he says something that is wrong, and the guy goes, <gasps> it's like shock, like, oh my god, you just insulted his mother. What the hell did you say that for? I thought I was using the right words. It's a secret language of double, triple, quadruple entendre, and euphemisms and different pieces. That's how I've always used it, as a way for thieves to hand signals, you know, the hand goes up, taps the bridge of their nose three times, and that's a thing. Um, I encourage my players when they're doing that to come up with how they're utilizing thieves can't whenever they want to communicate something, you know, it's a great role-playing opportunity to look around. Even if the, even if there's nothing going on, ask the dungeon master, you know, I'm looking for signs of thieves in there. You know, if anybody sees me, I'll kind of make the overt, you know, shaving a haircut um, on the table and then pick up my glass with my left hand, turn it to my right and take a drink. Uh, you know, for whatever reason that, that happens to be one of the symbols from your guild. Fine. Make that stuff up. <coughs> Excuse me. Unless the dungeon master or game master, or whomever, unless she's got a ton of time and is able to come up with a very detailed guild or approach to how all thieves operate. You have great license as the role player to grab that and go right. Understand the setting and just go with it. You can make some really cool stuff. That's when you get a guy where something weird happens and the guy playing Han Solo goes, oh, my God, don't tell me that's Draxus. And the game master goes, yes, it is. What did he do to you again? <laughs> oh, crap. I owe him money. Something like that. It's just they're really great opportunities to pull on the underworld portion of you. Or even if you want to flip it a little bit different is that's yeah, that's the time when you're a young up and coming thief. Sean turns around the bar and there's his mom. And she's mad at him because he's been gone for a while. <laughs> she wants to find out what he, you're not hanging out with that no good thieves guild again, are you? You can have comedic role playing opportunities as well. But Sean, any role playing ideas or advice from you? 
Oh, no. I think that's, I mean, you know, messing around with your own uh, role-playing. Maybe you've, uh, maybe. I guess it just depends on the personality of the thief and the rogue. It'll just, I think it'll come into its own as you develop that character. That's true. You can have the, the deep voice. You can sound like, you know, some nasty badass motherfucker sitting in the corner because he's an assassin. You could play totally against type and be a bubbly, happy frat boy assassin. You could be all sorts of crazy things. Um, but also, if you are always quiet and always reserved, sometimes playing to archetype like that can be a lot of fun because that's a trope that we all know and love quite well. And you're that that person who doesn't say more than two words, only speaks when absolutely necessary. That can be cool. Good stuff, man. Yes. Well, clearly, Sean and I did not hit all the different highs and lows of playing Thieves and Rogues. So I'm positive other people have got good ideas out there. Hit us with them. Let us know what we missed. And uh, we'll highlight it. All right. Let's get into die roll. All right, Brett. You want to start? Sure. Um, I think the listeners caught us up on this one. <laughs> Sean and I are be yeah. Sean and I are a little bit behind, but man, we got like half a dozen practically from listeners. Matt Bonhoff launched his first game, Lucha Liga. It's on Drive Through RPG. We've got a link in the show notes. Do 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 do. Uh, Wasteland of Enchantment Games. A masked fighter steps on the ring, ready to pound his opponent senseless. The crowd cheers wildly, waiting to see a sensational signature move. It's a game for two friends, one player and one GM. It's designed with a lightweight rules and a lighthearted tone. It's basically, it's uh, equal parts uh, Mucha Lucha and Pokemon rather than real, real world wrestling. So it's it's it looks like a lot of fun. This is one of those things I I, I saw this when he put it up there. I'm like, you know what? This would be a blast for uh, some buddies and I to play. Just, you know, one-on-one every once in a while. So good stuff. Thank you, Mr. Bonhoff. Yes. Thank you, Matt. Wayne Visionary comms. There are diseases hidden in ice, and they're waking up. Article on the BBC. I think it has more to do with bacteria, but nonetheless, something good inspiration for a plot point. Absolutely. And let's see here. Kevin Lovecraft put up uh, a poster on spell names designed by a neural network. Kind of cool looking. Uh, new D&D magic spells designed by a neural network. This uh, person trained uh, an open source Neural network framework on a variety of uh, data sets, including recipes, Pokemon, knock knock jokes, and pickup lines. So, the latest, it lists the 365 different spells you can cast in Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, Formids, Beating Sphere, uh, Perping, <laughs> Farming. <laughs> I love that. Wrathful Hound. That one's good. Uh, mind, blo- mind Blark, Stone Share. Interesting stuff. Yeah, because when AI takes over, they have to know what spells they're going to cast on their human victims. Yeah, that's true. They do. Fucking aliens. So they came up with the names first. Now they'll come up with what they do and then we're in trouble. Yeah, this is just not good. No. All right. What's next? Oh, Ezra Rocha shares a YouTube playlist of free instrumental music from a Spanish speaking composer for your gaming tables. Ezreal always has some really good stuff out there, just like well, just like every one of our uh, listeners out there. So take a look at this Castle Castle uh, Zagix Sword Swords Against Sorcery. So pretty cool. I mean, when you're talking about titles like Against the Cult of the Reptile Guard, uh, Town of the Threshold, Vault of the Drow, Black Razor, Wellman Wave. I mean, come on, it's good stuff. Give it a look. And there's a new project from Charles White. 
From fabled environments and yellow piece games comes Buccaneer through hell and high water. It's a setting for Savage Worlds uh, for, for pirates. The Kickstarter starts the day that this episode has dropped, which is May 16th, 2017. Um, so you'll want to take a look at Charles White's Kickstarter. We wish him the best of luck in that and how that goes and if it gets funded. I don't can't recall exactly the dollar amount that he's going to put out there, but nonetheless. Yeah, I don't remember. But speaking of uh, Kickstarters, we would be remiss. Eli Kurtz, fan of the show, listener of the show, voice actor, all-around awesome gamer guy, <clears throat> has his Blackwood Kickstarter is still out there. That thing, it's uh, Blackwood for the Savage Worlds uh, role-playing system. As of today, the 15th, he still has 14 days to go. He's getting close. He's got a $5,000 goal, which is uh, one of those types of Kickstarters that makes me take notice because it's not overly expensive. And uh, So anyway, take a look at that. I know we've mentioned it before, but just want to make sure we gave him one more shout-out here. So that wraps up Die Roll for this week. But a reminder that we uh, are going to be at Game Hole Con in November, a gaming convention held in Madison, Wisconsin, the first weekend of November. Get your ass to Game Hole Con. Visit GameholeCon.com. For more information, as Brett and I submit events, and they come out with the speakers, seminars, True Dungeon, it's going to be fan. It's going to be huge, fantastic, amazing. You're going to want to get there, Game Hole Con. <laughs> nice. All right. Yeah. And next week, I'm gonna we're going to talk about how we run supreme villains in our games. This was a... Uh, a topic that came up from one of our listeners, and I thought, you know what? Let's get that cycled in there, and then we'll take care of that and move on to a few others. And for God's sakes, we've got uh, we got questions from all sorts of people on how to run some cool stuff, Chris Lang and others. So, yeah, we're going to get to it. So, yeah, so Brett is just going to explain how he would run himself <laughs> in a role-playing game. Well, the first thing you do is get him to, hey, what's that? Hit him from behind. <laughs> Kidding. Very simple. Very straightforward. Should be all about 30 seconds. Probably our shortest show yet. Might be. Might be. All right. So for Gaming and BS, I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. Gaming and BS brought to you with the help from the following patrons. Christian Sexy Voice Serrano, Kevin Lovecraft, Joe Swick, Brett's Biggest Fan, Jeff Rodemacher, Forrest Aguirre, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Jeppesen, Andy Hall, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Chris Steele, the Knights of the Night Crew, Palladian, Jason Blaylock, Remy Bellidoe, Jason Hobbs Hobbs, Wayne Humfleet, James Carpio, Not Caprio, Pure Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnston, Eric Tankar, Brandon Barnes, Mark Tasaka, Brett Pazinski, Tim Shorts, Dan Lavalley, C.W. Mellencamp, Craig Huber, Eli Kurtz, The Lost Sailor, Graham Miner, Todd McGowan, Roger Brasslett, Misdirected Mark Productions, Old School DM, Jason, Christopher Gray, The Tabletop Game Talk Podcast, Stefan Dragonspawn, Evan Harrison Cass, Finolf, Ray Otis, Merkel Froelich, Eileen Barnes, Tony Baker, Jared Rasher, Jared Lido, Todd Crapper, Michael Parker, Jim Fitzpatrick, Michael Drescher, Wiss Static, Alexander Auerbach, Rodrigo Beowulf, Neil Benson, and Ron Blessing. For the cost of a coffee shop coffee, you can support the show for an entire month. Consider going over to GamingNBS.com forward slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thank you, patrons. Thank you, listeners. This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.